Can I have the attention of the class? For one second. My name is kids do you like primus yeah, wanna yeah. see me stick nine inch nails to each one of my eyelids uh-huh. wanna copy me and do exactly like i did try to see to get messed up worse than my life is my brain's dead weight. week 16 dfs mvp holden kushner alongside tj hernandez 444.com's director of dfs tj we do not even need to introduce this song but you might as well do it if there's like a 12 year old listening that has no idea what this is <laughs> Actually, they're not allowed to play DFS. Just just talk about it. Whatever. Or or anybody under 20. This album came out 20 years ago. Uh, Slim Shady LP, uh, Eminem's first single, My Name Is. Uh, of course, a classic there, along with all the other classics you can find on the DFS MVP Spotify playlist. All of the great intro songs that you hear here are on that playlist. Just go to Spotify, search DFS MVP, or you can go to my Twitter. I link out the playlist along with the podcast every single week before we get into everything this week if you're a sports better and you want to be a winning nfl better you should use weekly selections from nfl sharp james salinas he's the most successful super contest winner of all time visit sharpanglesports.com and start winning today all right here's the tease for today's show week 16 plays and the saturday only slate that's our game theory right saturday yeah, only slate yep. game theory we'll tell you how to attack it not as much as players but game theory there and obviously this week's plays. Make sure you sign up with uh, DFS MVP if you still want to do that. 25% off the DFS sub only. Um, you get it for 16, 17, and right through the conference championship. So it's still worth quite a bit. Uh, we got the rate and review t-shirt giveaway. Who won? Isn't this the last one, by the way? The last one of the season. So if you if you like us, please still leave five-star ratings and yeah. reviews out of the kindness of your heart. But if not, I understand. Uh, the last winner of the season, Safadino, S-A-F-A-D-I-N-H-O-11, left us a really nice review. Uh, so hit me up on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. I'll get you the details on how to get that fresh 4 for 4 swag for the butt end of the holidays. So you could rock it uh, hopefully on New Year's. All right. So for the new listeners, if you're a new listener in week 16, hello, what is up? Uh crazy stuff let's go win some money we touch on our core plays at each position for the main slate and then we have the theory segment the aforementioned saturday slate attack mode but let's talk about quarterback here on the main slate you got one mainstay and you got one where i think you got to hold your breath but the mm-hmm. numbers make sense let's start with the mainstay russell wilson 8300 fandles 7000 DraftKings, taking on the cardinals at home my only concern here is the pass attempts, but damn, yep. Wilson's just so efficient. It almost mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Before we get into it, do I need to mention that Lamar Jackson is obviously in play and we say him every week, so we're just bypassing him? Is that is that a given at this point? Well, it's kind of like him and Christian McCaffrey, right? Like sure. If you want to play Christian McCaffrey, I think on DraftKings is probably the best way to go. It's a little easier. I think it's easier on DraftKings to squeeze mm-hmm. them in, believe it or not. But, uh, yeah, McCaffrey, Jackson, start those guys if you want. Sure. Uh, so now with that, we got that out of the way. Uh, if you don't want to pay all the way up, Russell Wilson is the guy that we're looking at. You're getting him at a uh, $1,000 discount to Jackson on both sides. Wilson, 8300 on FanDuel, $7,000 on DraftKings. And, I mean, you pretty much nailed it. The the thing about Wilson, even despite like the, the last few weeks where he's put up some mediocre performances, uh, still with all that, he's tied for third in the league in fantasy points per pass attempt, and that's that efficiency that you're talking about. He doesn't need 35, 40 attempts to be a top three or four quarterback. Uh, he, he's often a quarterback that can throw two, three, sometimes even four touchdowns on fewer than 30 attempts and this is a week that looks like he's it sets up for him to do that uh seattle is favored by 10 they have the highest implied point total of the week 30.5 uh, projected points and arizona one of the worst defenses in the league across the board they rank last in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks according to four for fours 10-week rolling schedule adjusted metric uh 20 points allowed in five of the last seven games to opposing quarterbacks that the Cardinals have given up. The only two quarterbacks that haven't reached the 20-point mark uh, in that stretch, Delvin Hodges and Baker Mayfield, uh, guys that are never reaching that that number this year, so probably not surprising there. And then you mentioned 
Christian McCaffrey, uh, along with Lamar Jackson, as players that you like to jam in. You could throw Michael Thomas in the mixes there uh, as well there. Just players that are really overpriced um, or, or just really more expensive relative to other players at their position. So if you're not looking to Lamar and you're trying to get to Christian McCaffrey, Michael Thomas, maybe some miraculous way, both of them, um, you need to pay down at quarterback and Russell Wilson is the the closest alternative to Lamar Jackson this week. Well, then if you really want to pay down. So, I mean, two weeks ago, Fitzpatrick was supposed to be a stud. Not great. Yep. Uh, last week, he stepped up, you know. So you really don't know what you get with Ryan Fitzpatrick. All we could do is tell you the numbers, how they line up, and then you can make your own decision on this guy. I will have some in DFS. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, 7,400 FanDuel. 6,000 DraftKings. They're taking on a horrendous Cincinnati defense. And listen, he's got a healthy Devontae Parker. He's got a couple other weapons. Um, I su- He's in play. It's as simple as that. Ryan Fitzpatrick is in play because of the salary relief. Yeah, Gasecki's been stepping up. Uh, Patrick Laird kind of was was a dud last week as a, a semi-chalky play, but he's a, a running back out of the backfield that's going to catch a lot of passes. So even if the Dolphins are using their running back heavily and it's Laird, uh, that, that could easily benefit Fitzpatrick. Uh, like you mentioned, he's uh, he's definitely a boomer bust play. He's going to have a very wide range of outcomes. But as it stands right now against Cincinnati, who ranks 22nd in schedule adjusted points allowed to the position, Fitzpatrick registers as a top three quarterback value uh, on both sides, according to four for four. So he's somebody that, like you said, if you, if you want to pay down and try to get to the, the Christian McCaffrey, Michael Thomas, I don't, I don't think there's going to be a lot of lineups this week that have more than one stud. So Fitzpatrick's a way uh, to help you get there. The reason he, I, I think he's really popping on some of these models. We have the uh, the Vegas total tells us that the Dolphins are projected for twenty four point two five implied points. That's the first time this season that they have a projection over twenty two points. Uh, if you're familiar with four for four, you know uh, our mastermind projection master John Paulson does a sneaky start column every week. He pointed out Fitzpatrick has two plus touchdowns in three of his last four games, uh, twenty plus fantasy points in each of those games and probably the thing that goes a little underrated with Fitzpatrick he's rushed for 21 yards and 0.3 touchdowns per game in 10 games where he's played at least 90 percent of the snaps so basically when he's the starter and stays in uh, he's going to give you a little bit of a rushing floor and he will find the end zone uh, quite a bit so that's a, a little added bonus for Fitzpatrick there yeah, I'm just looking at the prices on DraftKings here for $200 more I can get Matt Ryan there's mm-hmm. more of a floor there yeah, you know? for sure. Um, but I mean, the Fitzpatrick thing just keeps sticking out here with Cincinnati. It's just it's it's matchup as opposed to talent. Yeah, Fitzpatrick as, will run too. As and as we go through this uh, this podcast, I, I think we'll notice that uh, this is actually just a sneaky game to target. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's one with two bad teams, but two bad teams that it looks like it's going to trend towards the offenses. Yeah, and Fitzpatrick's run for at least thirty three yards in three of his last four games. 45, 2, 65, and 33. So he's going to rack up some points with his legs. Let's move on to the running back position here, TJ. And Josh Jacobs, Dunsky, he's not playing this week. So you move on to his backup, DeAndre Washington. 5,600 FanDuel, 4,000 DraftKings going up against the Chargers. Listen, he's not as talented as Josh Jacobs is. But let's also not forget that Josh Jacobs was missing practice, was not featured at all in the passing game. He just he couldn't lift his arms up properly. So maybe Washington, with that health, maybe he's not as talented, but he gives you exactly what you're getting out of Josh Jacobs. Maybe a little more. Maybe a little more with for the reasons that you just stated. And this is this is nice that we got this news today on Wednesday. Often when uh, we're waiting on on player injury news, we record this podcast Wednesday night. Sometimes we uh, miss out on some of these free squares that open up uh, Thursday, Friday. So it's nice to get this one early in the week. Uh, with Jacobs out in week 14, the running back splits in Oakland, Washington, 63% of the snaps, 14 rushes, 7 targets, 96 total yards and a touchdown. Jalen Richard, 38% of the snaps, uh, 7 rushes and 3 targets. So pretty close to a perfectly even 60-40 split in terms of both snaps and touches. John Paulson, uh, four for four, gives us roughly the same touch and snap projection for these two this week. So definitely uh, a 20 touch upside for 
uh, DeAndre Washington here in this game. There is a little bit of concern. I think in cash games, you're going to have to uh, lock in that value just because this is a pretty tight week in terms of salary outside of Washington. But there, there's some ceiling concern for sure. Oakland is a six and a half point underdog. They're implied for under 20 points. So uh, there might not be a lot of scoring opportunities here uh, on on FanDuel. DeAndre Washington barely registers as a top 10 running back value despite his uh, his low salary. On DraftKings down at 4K, he's a top two value. Uh, that might have a little bit or a lot to do actually with those game script concerns on DraftKings. Uh, he can make up the, the lack of uh, touchdown upside or, or late game positive game script by catching some balls out of the backfield or on FanDuel. You really want your running backs to be able to have a chance to uh, find the end zone. But with all that said, Chargers have struggled against running backs all year. Um, slightly better of late. They were near the bottom of the league for most of the season. Now we have the Chargers as the 22nd team when adjusted for strength of schedule against running backs. But uh, I think in cash games are pretty much hitting the lock button on Washington. I could definitely make the argument that he's a chalk fade in GPPs, though. Chalk fade. GPP. I just wonder what the pivots, you know, a little bit would be. I mean, he's just so cheap on yeah, FanDuel, I, too. It's I, like... I don't think we're going to have any pivots, but uh, one thing... So? I I mean, we just don't have, like, the any players priced down at that salary right now. One thing that we can we can look to and, and think about in these situations where you might not have a perfect pivot, but when you have a player like Washington, right now we have Washington projected for like 25 to 30% ownership, depending mm-hmm. on the site. Uh, that'll I'll adjust that as we get closer to Sunday if it, if it looks like he's gaining a lot more traction if people aren't so worried about his ceiling. But one thing I wrote about on 4 for 4 a couple weeks ago when uh, it was um, – who was our our late week chalk a couple weeks ago? Um, was it Laird? No, it wasn't Laird. Um, it was uh, oh Bilal Powell was mm-hmm. our was the Jets chalk uh, late in the week. And what happened was the the big tournament winners, especially on DraftKings, ended up fading Powell. And it's not just that you faded the chalk play like a DeAndre Washington that week. It's if that player does end up being in like 35 or 40% of lineups when there is no pivot. Not only are you getting off of a popular play, but they're in such a unique salary range that it kind of forces everybody into this very similar build. So like if people are playing Washington on DraftKings, they're going to end up with a very cheap uh, Washington and then probably an expensive running back or two with an expensive wide receiver or two. If you don't play Washington, you just naturally get away from that salary build and you might end up with kind of just like a, a more balanced lineup where everybody else is going with a stars and scrubs approach and that alone could help you with a little bit of differentiation in gpp so i'm not saying that's like the only reason to fade a chalk player but you do have that leverage scenario in terms of lineup construction this week yeah i guess the only guy in DraftKings i see is adrian peterson and i don't know why you'd want to pivot and cash there so sure there you go. Joe Mixon, 7,800 FanDuel, 6,600 DraftKings. Never too late, Joe Mixon. You know, <laughs> most of the season, he was he was just garbage. And in the last five weeks or so, he's helped carry you. He's a legit running back one. And he's just got such a tasty matchup this week. Yeah, and he's, he's priced up like it on FanDuel up at 7,800, um, but still projects as a top two value there. Not quite as pricey relative to some of the other backs on DraftKings where he's priced at 6,600. We have him projected as, as the top running back value um, of the week, and, and it's, it's rare that we've seen any running back uh, as a higher value than Christian McCaffrey this week. We actually have Mixon and Washington both projected as better values than McCaffrey this week on DraftKings. Uh, so, uh, again, another nod there to, to how tough it is to build lineups this week. But uh, Mixon, it's not even that he's just been having these blow-up games um, or anything that is unsustainable. He's just been this offense over the past month. 23 touches, uh, 23 or more touches in three straight games. 52% of the Bengals' total touches over the last month. That leads all running backs, even ahead of players like Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette, who have pretty much held steady at the top in that category all season. And then you mentioned the uh, the matchup here. Miami, they rank 24th when adjusted for strength of schedule in terms of fantasy points allowed to the position. Running backs have reached 20-plus points in three of the last four games against the Dolphins. Man. Again, you mentioned it. Maybe a little sneaky game stack here. 
I don't know how many people are going to be on it, right? I mean, Fitzpatrick, yeah. Parker, Mixon, maybe, you, you know, you find a lower own guy in there, but there's definitely some players to be had. Uh, wide receiver. Here we go. I wanted to talk to you about Michael Thomas. 9,000 FanDuel, 9,300 DraftKings. Like, there's three guys right now that are just outscoring everybody else on a yep. weekly basis. Jackson, McCaffrey, and Michael Thomas. They're on the road. They're at the Titans. This is my only concern. So Thomas is averaging DraftKings like 30 points at home, just shy of 20 on the road. Do you take any of that into account this week for him to hit value? Because 20 is not going to do it. 30, I'll do it. 20 is not going to do it. Well, here's here's the reason I wanted to bring up Thomas specifically, and, and I'll answer your question um, after I, I get to that. But the reason I wanted to bring him up is because, like we talked about with Jackson, there's like there's these three players that are pretty much lapping the field um, in terms of like their their production relative to other players at their position. And if I'm prioritizing one of those guys this week, it's Michael Thomas. So if I can only pick one stud to jam in out of those high price guys, it's Michael Thomas. Um, you can obviously a quarterback scoring is relatively flat. That hasn't been the case all year with Jackson. He's really been outscoring uh, people by by a ton. Um, but in general, quarterback scoring is going to be pretty flat. And then he's just uh, way cheaper, Michael Thomas is, than Christian McCaffrey. So it just makes it easier to jam him in. But uh, I, I'm not super concerned about those home road splits, uh, especially in this spot, just because Tennessee has shown some vulnerability against wide receivers. They rank in the bottom 10 in fantasy points allowed to the position when we adjust for strength of schedule. This looks like the, the – uh, most likely shootout of the week and that doesn't always translate to the number one wide receiver but it definitely doesn't hurt in terms of touchdown equity this game has uh, over under above 50 with a spread of only three in favor of the saints and michael thomas he's going for the single season catch record and i mean the saints are um if we've seen anything over the years they're very cognizant of of those records and they definitely do make a deal out of them they do not ignore them and pretend like they're they're not there uh their team it's mostly been with drew Brees, but uh pretty obvious when they're going after those things so i i just can't imagine a situation where they they make it tough in the final week of the season for him to go after that record and um i mean there's an outside shot that he even just breaks it this week don't worry about that he's on the road doesn't cap the ceiling everything's yeah i don't think this this team they're these guys are just rolling right now they are. Um, again, you know, Breeze on the road compared to Breeze at home. It's a little bit different, but mm-hmm. I'm just um, I'm just super negative all the time. Anyway, so I, <laughs> well, I look for the worst things to happen, which actually is good for DFS because it is. You should think about all the range of outcomes and one. And you know what? Maybe this is and there's numbers to back it up, too. But uh, for Michael Thomas. But again, he's one of the big three. And well. And yeah, and this is just a game that you just there's those games every week that you want a piece of. And like I said, this is a game that uh, looks like it has potential to shoot out. Both of the quarterbacks in this game have been hyper efficient, uh, Drew Brees and, and Ryan Tannehill. And then they're they're fairly concentrated offenses. You know, it's going to be Michael Thomas on one side, A.J. Brown on the other side, and then Derrick Henry mixed in. And like you said, like, what's the where's the leverage? What's the range of outcomes? Um, I think because Michael Thomas is so obvious and the other guys as well, I think it makes someone like Alvin Kamara an insanely good leverage play. Like a, a Kamara lineup without Thomas this week in big field GPPs is probably a really good move. Again with Kamara, like we got to bring this guy up every week. <laughs> I think you have to. I think he's injured. And I think I mean, that he's, he's just not, not the he's same definitely guy. definitely not right from, no. that, from that ankle. But, no. um, but I mean, his usage is uh, – it, it's uh, Graham Barfield tweeted it out. I think it was earlier today or late last night. His usage in terms of touches, opportunities, um, total yardage per game, pretty much on par the last couple seasons. Um, but uh, just obviously the touchdowns haven't been there. So if if that normalizes a little bit or at least normalizes to somewhat more Camara levels over the last couple of weeks, uh, those are those are big GPP uh, swings there. Last thing on Thomas, in when you look at. DFS in your building, you're kind of you're predicting game script, right? Right. It's easy to look at 50 and a half over under. You know, both teams are gonna go nuts. My concern with this game, and again, I'm schlep rock here. I'm the I'm the depressed guy from from peanuts. Everything's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> 
So my concern here with this game is that Derrick Henry and the Titans just get going and, you know, they're up or they, they keep it even and the game just slogs down and yeah. they're not allowed to keep. That's my concern. Do I think that's going to happen? No. But do I think there's a good chance it could happen? I do. I do. Th- I do think that the Titans can just bring them down, control the clock, seven, eight minute drives. And then all of a sudden, instead of 50 and a half, we're looking at, you know, 44 instead of 50 and a half. So. It does yeah, concern mean, me, but Michael Thomas, I sh- don't overthink it. Stop. I mean, I sh- even, stop. even if even if they keep like that, that's definitely a concern in terms of like stacking the game. But from just the perspective of Michael Thomas, is uh, if we're just talking about value um, and and like medium projections or floor player or what have you, even if they slow it down to the point where Drew Brees only throws it like twenty seven or twenty eight times, that's still probably going to be roughly ten targets for Michael Thomas because he's He's like a third of every. He's a third of their their target share. So, um, I I think he he should be fine. Um, regardless of how game flow plays out. Tyler Boyd, we're going back to that uh, Bengals Dolphins game. Sixty three hundred mm-hmm. FanDuel for Tyler Boyd. Fifty eight hundred DraftKings. I mean, if you think that this game's going to go off, and there's reason on both sides, <laughs> I should think it might. I do think this will be one of the higher scoring games, but. Uh, Tyler Boyd is a guy you got to run out there. Yeah, we don't really have a um, game besides the one that we just mentioned, the, the Saints and the Titans. If that game is a little bit slower than expected, we don't really have a game that looks like it's going to go bonkers. We have teams projected for a lot of points, the Ravens and the uh, Seahawks. They're both favored by 10, so the over-unders in those games are very high, but the spreads are at 10 points. There's only three games on the main slate with the higher over-under than this Cincinnati-Miami game. As I mentioned, two of those games have 10-point spreads. The spread here is only one. So if a game's going to shoot out, uh, and and like you said, there's a possibility that that Saints-Titans game is a little bit slower than expected, there's a chance that this could be the highest scoring game of the week. Uh, so that's why so many players are popping in the models this week. We already mentioned Fitzpatrick and Mixon. Now Tyler Boyd, Tyler Boyd, 25% of the team's targets since uh, Andy Dalton's return. If we adjust for strength of schedule, Miami is last in fantasy points allowed to wide receivers with the eighth most fantasy points per game allowed to wide receivers line up in the slot. Uh, Jamel Wiltz, their slot cornerback, 14th most fantasy points per target among all corners, fifth fifth most fantasy points per target allowed among slot corners. Hmm. Tyler Boyd, roll him out there, baby. Um, 6,300 Fanduel again, 5,800 on DraftKings. And then that mid-tier, I guess basically it's not really mid-tier. It's it's uh, just slightly higher than Boyd. Mm-hmm. Keenan Allen. So we got the Chargers hosting Oakland. The volume's there. 6,700 FanDuel, 6,300 DraftKings again. And the Oakland defense is just in shambles. You know, it's, it's a complete disaster. So this makes sense. After you get done with Allen, let me ask you about Mike Williams then. But, yes, sure. Keenan Allen. Tell me about it. Uh I mean, I, it's it's another offense that I just want a piece of uh, versus the Raiders. There's actually a lot of ways you, you can go in this one in terms of who, who you're targeting, but I think Allen's probably the safest bet. Rivers has um, not been playing well. The backfield is in a split, so you're not going to trust either of those guys for cash games, even though they have a ton of upside. Hunter Henry, obviously a, a high-ceiling guy, but uh, he's only been seeing two or three targets per game since, since their bye week. So Keenan Allen really looks like the the only reliable play here had his first 10 target game uh since the bye week last week oakland uh they allow the second highest touchdown rate through the air uh so that's obviously going to benefit the pass catchers and then the raiders basically lose use safety lamarcus joiner as their slot cornerback so if we categorize joiner as a slot corner he's allowing the 10th most fantasy points uh per target among those guys so Mike Williams, he's mm-hmm. averaging six targets a game. He's yep. an air yards god. Yep. Uh, finally got in the end zone the last couple of weeks. Like cash, it is. It's a bit scary, but is the upside there? Because I don't. Oh, for sure. Really? Because I mean, he's got to score I've, twice I've, to hit. 
I, I think the concern is is of, with anything um, is just Rivers because he's been playing so bad. The upside's definitely there with Williams. I, I don't think he needs to uh, necessarily score twice. Like he's his targets are so far downfield that Williams is a guy he could he can put up one twenty and one on four or five targets, um, and and that's gonna get you there. Uh, he, I mean, he doesn't need to be the guy that carries your team, but if you have uh, him, I mean, sixty five hundred isn't super cheap, but I mean, you're gonna be plenty fine with with i mean 20 fantasy points out of him um that's enough out of one year receivers to get there in a gpp so i mean i think the upside's definitely there yeah we haven't seen him hit 20 because, points yeah. yet and you know i'm waiting for that so and i don't have the stat in front of me but i'm like 99 percent sure that uh if we if we categorize deep balls as balls thrown 20 plus yards downfield that the raiders are allowing the most completions on those passes in the league Mm, but more of a GPP. I mean, you're not trusting Absolutely. any cash. Absolutely. Not whatsoever. Tight end. Two guys that you're looking at. Austin Hooper of the Falcons. 6,000 on Fandle. 4,400 on DraftKings. Um, this is just, you know, Jacksonville has some major issues uh, defensively. And talk to me first, though, about why you wouldn't want to pay up to a top shelf tight end this week. Uh, I just don't think we could get there because outside of, of that DeAndre Washington spot, salaries are, are so tight. It's really like we've been talking about throughout this podcast. If you're going to pay up, it, it probably should be Jackson Thomas or CMC. And once you get one of those guys in there, it makes it really hard to justify paying all the way up um, for the tight end position. Uh, just because they're, um, it's it's a volatile position. You only get one shot at it, whereas the the other positions you get multiple shots. Um, and Ertz is really the only pay up option uh, this week. We have um, uh, Mark Andrews is is uh, is a little more expensive or a little cheaper. Um, but if you're paying all the way up, you might as well go to Ertz. We got Kelsey off the main slate, so it just looks like a spot where if I'm I'm looking at that setup there, I'd rather just pay down and and embrace the volatility. At tight end, so yes, in a vacuum, Ertz is the best play, but he's also very expensive this week. Um, this is this just sets up for a a tight end fr- friendly game flow. You like your tight ends to be in in favorable favorable spots. You kind of look for similar trends that you look for from your running backs. And Atlanta is a, favored by seven and a half at home. It's the f- only time all year that they've been favored by more than three and a half. Uh, Hooper hasn't been the Hooper that he was early in the season, but still six targets in each of his games since returning from injury over the last six weeks. Jacksonville's allowing the sixth highest touchdown rate through the air. That's obviously something that we want our tight end to get in the end zone on a slate like this, where you really only have like Zach Ertz and Andrews as guys you would consider as the elite options. Um, just a touchdown and and a decent yardage total could put a tight end on the top of the tight end leaderboard. So uh, with all that. Hooper comes in as a top two value on both uh, FanDuel and DraftKings. We actually have him ranked as the top value on DraftKings because he's priced uh, so low compared to um, Ertz. All right, so TJ, the next guy that you got on here, I have cir- I've literally circled this a month ago, waiting to play Jacob Hollister against the Arizona Cardinals. And I'm making a bold slash stupid prediction that Hollister will be a top five tight end on FanDuel this week. Top five. He will be better than Waller. He will be better than Higby. He will be better than Hooper, O.J. Howard, Jared Cook, all of them. Russell Wilson's no dummy. He's going to Hollister early and often against one of the worst teams against tight ends in the history of the world. At at this point, it's just, I mean, there's not even much analysis we have to do at this point. Just play tight ends versus Arizona. (laughs) That's his fancy McDonald's. I ha- unless it's Vance McDonald. And I hate to make it that simple, but they're making it that simple. But um, I mean, Hollister is, isn't just like a, a two or three target guy that we're rolling out there. He's he's actually been a part of this offense. Um, last week, Tyler Lockett dominated targets, so nobody else was really in the mix. It was, it was pretty much all Tyler Lockett and Chris Carson. But um, even with that low target game last week, Hollister, Hollister still averaging 6.2 targets per game over the second half of the season. If we go back to week nine, uh, in that time period, only two tight ends have seen more red zone targets than Hollister. And again, going back to the points we made about Hooper, uh, just really good game script for a tight end to succeed. Seattle favored by 
10 points this week with the highest implied point total of the week. Um, in, in case we need to rehash how bad Arizona is, please. they're the only team that's allowed over 1,000 yards to the tight end position as a whole. They're the only team that's allowed double-digit touchdowns to the tight end position. They've allowed 15 touchdowns to the position, so basically one a week. Uh, the next closest team is nine touchdowns allowed to the position. So if Hollister doesn't find the end zone, it's um, almost a bad, bad beat of sorts this week. So if I just had to say price being equal, right? All, there's no prices. We're just talking about we're just talking about tight ends this week. Would you put him ahead of a guy of Darren Waller? You had a choice. They were both the same price. Do you start Hollister in the greatest matchup ever, or Derek Carr and Darren Waller against the Chargers, who are a good defense against the tight end? If I was in a championship game. I would say there's only I would have Hollister as my tight end five this week. You'd have probably I would have Kittle Kittle, Kelsey Ertz, right? Kittle, Kelsey Ertz and Andrews. It's exactly what I would do. I'd move Waller down just a little. That's but that's just to show you how high we both are on 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 Hollister. I mean, this is very talented and they use him. Again, it's like, oh, you know, why are you going to go out and look at his numbers the last month? Don't worry about that. The volume plus the matchup. And this is a talented guy. And Will Disley was the tight was a tight end one before he went down. I don't know. I don't I can't judge how big a gap there is between Disley and Hollister, but this is the week. This has yeah. got to be the week. And yes, it will be a bad it'll be a bad beat. Because uh, I will have him in my cash and I will have him in championship week and if it doesn't come through, I'll cry. Yeah, so for for uh, frame of reference, uh, John Paulson has Jacob Hollister projected as his tight end 11, mm-hmm. but in half PPR scoring, um, only separated by um, 1.9 points compared to the tight end four. Um, so if you're like, if you're in a, if you're in a redraft league and you're in a position where you have like, you could easily be in this position where you have Hollister and Hooper together. Um, I'm I'm starting Hollister. Yep, uh, <laughs> we're both just all in on him. I don't think yeah. we'll be the only ones, right? You got him high. I don't ownership. think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the as Twitter likes to call it, the hashtag flowchart has pretty much pointed everyone to the yeah. to the tight ends to yeah. the tight ends against Arizona. The price and everything else just yep. works out. All right, defenses. We got two of them. Broncos taking on the Lions. Broncos. You got to pay up here. Five thousand on Fanduel. They are thirty five hundred on DK. Big favorites at home and blow blows. It's as simple as that. <laughs> yeah. He's bad, man. He's bad. Yeah, big big home favorites was obviously something that we like um, from our defenses. If we adjust for strength of schedule, Detroit is 25th in fantasy points allowed to opposing defenses. Blau has a third highest interception rate among week 16 starters. And with all that, Broncos come in as a top two value on both FanDuel and DraftKings, according to 4 for 4. Yep, so there you go. That's number one. Denver Broncos, ah, man, the Redskins. 3,800 Fandle, 2,800 DraftKings, taking on the Giants. You, you talk about a punt. This is the ultimate punt, though. Yeah. I just and hate doing anything with the Redskins. Yeah, this is the position we've done it at all year, though. It's just the um, the the pay is pay down as much as possible so you can get to a, a better player. I mean, if you can get to a um, – if – if it lets you get, if the difference between the Redskins and the Broncos lets you get to, say, like Russell Wilson over Ryan Fitzpatrick, um, that's probably a pretty good trade-off. Um, so that's that's those are the type of things we're thinking about if we're doing it. If you're paying down for the Redskins and it's not getting you to a stud, if it's getting you to like from like a 4K player to a 5K player, that's probably a pretty bad play. But if it's getting you from like a $6,500 quarterback or uh, running back to an $8,000 one, that's probably a pretty good play. So it's just like you have to make sure you're, you're using it wisely. You're using it to get up to these players that have unmatched floors and unmatched ceilings. If you're just using it to go from an average player to an above average player, that's not a good play. Um, but we have the Redskins projected as top three values on both sides. If we adjust for strength of schedule, the Giants are last against opposing defenses. They're 21st in adjusted sack rate allowed, and it looks like uh, it's back to Daniel Jones for the last couple games. He's one of two players with 10-plus interceptions on fewer than 400 attempts this year. 
All right, we got our game theory segment coming up in just a second. We're going to break down Saturday-only slate attack plans. But first, Sharp Angle Sports, the exclusive home for NFL selections from James Salinas. He's the most successful Super Contest winner of all time. He won the Westgate Super Contest in 2015, and then the next year he followed it up, finishing third. And then 2018, he finished 26. And over the last four years, he's picked 85 games a year. 63.3% record against the spread. Amazing. Only one place to get Jim Salinas' NFL against the spread and over-under selections every week. That is SharpAngleSports.com. Visit the site today. Tell us about game theory here, TJ. Uh, so we got the Saturday-only slate, uh, which is just a three-game slate this week. And it's – I mean – the closest thing we have to it all year is the Thanksgiving slate. We uh, This year we recorded the podcast pretty close to the Thanksgiving slate, so we didn't really get a chance to cover the specifics of that short game slate. But for those that listen to the podcast that only play the main slate, that all of a sudden have this uh, this free time to, to do this three-game slate on Saturday where there are some pretty big championship contests, uh, it's, it's a bit of a different animal. So I just kind of wanted to cover – how you might attack this three-game slate, um, some things to think about if you haven't played these shorter slates before, and then just go over some of the games and the players. Um, not like a full breakdown we do for the main slate, but um, just kind of some some things to think about from a, a player and game flow perspective. All right, so again, three games. This is, this is Thanksgiving, you know? Yeah, it's exactly the, the same setup. Without, without the, the food, food right. and, you know, sitting. Maybe you could sit on the couch and eat all day. That's fun, but... You got There's a big adjustment you got to do to mm-hmm. this, and maybe during the season you've been doing this already. Maybe you've been playing four o'clock slates with three yeah. games or something like that. But um, for me, there's no way I'm playing cash. There's there's no yeah. reason to play cash on a three game slate unless you found that that is your strength. Right. There's just the reason for that is just because there's so much lineup overlap. Uh, there's only three games, six teams uh, at especially on a slate like this, where it's just the, the ownership is going to be so heavy towards one game. And then maybe a couple players each position. You're just going to have so much overlap like the um, there's the, the Tampa Bay Houston game, which is looks like the shootout. And then uh, four defenses that, that play pretty good, especially in that um that buffalo uh new england game so lineups are just gonna really be focused on a handful of players so with that overlap it really takes away that uh steady cash game edge where you're i mean the kind of the way to win cash games is to be the best at finding value but you don't get a chance to um to flex that muscle in these short slates the one thing that i i would um I would maybe suggest is if you are playing just a few, there's so there's a couple things you could do here. Um, if you are just playing like three max or, or single entry, you can definitely throw those lineups into some single entry 50 fifties or double ups just kind of as a hedge. Uh, because if you are playing all GPPs, you're definitely in a situation where you can have a really bad day, even though it is a short slate. So if those lineups are, you know, top 50%, but not top 20%, you at least make some of your money back. Um, or you can, uh, if you're, if you're playing, a bunch of lineups. Uh, you can just put those lineups in some uh, really small buy and multi-entry uh, 50-50s just to uh, recoup some of your losses if you do have a bad day. Yeah, I also don't mind like the 10-mans. I, I love I actually yeah. love 10-mans. I love playing in 10-mans. Finish top three, you're going to cash. It's kind of like a tournament a little bit, but it's paying out 30%. And, you know, you're getting – you, you don't have the ceiling, but you do have a nice little floor. You're getting, you're getting yeah. paid. So. I really like single entry contests on these short slates mm-hmm. just because I don't think people understand how to adjust and how to build um, just in terms of thinking about probabilities of game flow and uh, and and how things can um, how just a little bit of unexpected outcomes can really swing the entire slate. Whereas like on a full slate, even if you are doing something that's a little bit contrarian, you're still kind of just like need that highest scoring team. And if one player scores, um, it's not going to make that big of a difference. Whereas on a slate like this, a, a random 3000 player, $3,000 player that if he goes for 70 yards and one, that could be a slate breaker mm-hmm. where that's just not going to happen on a full slate. Yeah. So that's what you're doing though. You're, you're looking to leverage some opportunities, right? Yeah. Um, and, and there's just opportunities that are going to show up in these short game slates that aren't going to show up in full game slates. So one of the most obvious ones um, is the onesie positions. So the, the quarterbacks, tight ends and defenses 
on a full slate, they're generally just going to have very flat ownership. So you're in, you're almost never going to see a quarterback in more than like 15 or 16% of lineups in a millionaire. Uh, kind of same with tight ends. Maybe they'll cap around 20%. Defenses this year with like New England early in the season, uh, when they were huge favorites, we saw them around that 20, 25% range, which that's really high for a defense. But in general, those onesie positions are going to cap around the 15% number on a full slate. On these short slates, You'll see quarterbacks, tight ends, defenses owned in over 50% of large field lineups. So you have an opportunity to look for a quarterback, a tight end, a uh, defense that is super low owned that can help break the slate. Uh, We don't have those opportunities um, on full slates. Um, You also have a chance for unique uh, constructions that you're not going to have in um, full slates. Probably the most obvious one is leaving salary on the table. If we look at Fandles, Sunday Millionaire, DraftKings Millionaire, pretty much every, all the winners are using all of their salary. Um, I think the most that we've seen left on the table for a Sunday Million winner this year is $500 out of uh, $60,000. The most we've seen left on the table for a millionaire winner was, I believe, $300 out of $50,000. Whereas on some of these shorter slates, when there's only a few options available, you can leave eight, nine hundred, a thousand dollars on the table and still have a really good shot to win. So just a couple of more examples here. I mean, I love mm-hmm. the two running backs on the same team. Yes. I do that a lot during the season. Um, and like Gordon and Eckler. Yep. A couple of times this season have really helped me out. So uh, I think the Patriots basically on that slate would probably be the best example of that, wouldn't they? The two running back, just because of White and Michelle, not that I like Sony Michelle very much, but you know that's a way to differentiate yourself, it's, especially in a yeah, tough matchup. For sure. So it's the um, – you're just going to be able to do some, some unorthodox stacks or unorthodox lineup builds that – are in theory capping your upside in uh, on full slate uh, matchups. But like you said, the most obvious one is two running backs on the same team. So the, the Patriots are the most obvious example of this. It's, it's not something that you necessarily have to force, but it's just something that you're never going to do on like a, on a 12 game slate. Um, but if you, if you have a reason to think that you really love, like you said, a white and a, um, and a Sony Michelle, or maybe even like, I mean, on this slate, I, I guess you could make the argument for the Texans um, running backs, just because that's going to be a super high scoring game where ownership is, is really slanted towards those two offenses. You could make um, the case that, that Hyde is going to, um, going to get the the goal line work where Johnson could uh, get some work in the past game that might be more favorable towards DraftKings. But again, it's just an example of something that you're never going to do on a full slate that you can do on on a slate like this. And another thing that um, I think people kind of get scared by, and you're almost never going to play uh, a player versus your defense in a full slate because that's just horribly capping your ceiling you could kind of make the argument for it in full slate cash but on these shorter slates uh, you can have one or two players versus your defense and still have a, a very good chance to win a gpp uh, let's run over some game notes then mm-hmm. so tampa bay houston the over under is sitting almost 50 and let's face it you look at these games you get the middle game with the patriots and bills that's defense um th- everybody's gonna be on this game tampa yes. bay houston so the so one thing that and I mentioned the reason I like to play single entry contests on these shorter slates is just because I don't think people really understand the proper way to um, adjust to your lineup building approach when you're thinking about how to build your lineup for um, for these three game slates as compared to like a 12 or 13 game slate. So what we do with a 12 or 13 game slate is a lot of times we're just going to find uh uh, I don't know, whatever it might be, four, four or five offenses that we're really all in on. And then um, our core plays, which are often the best values, and then a few contrarian plays and kind of mix those throughout, assuming you're playing 100 lineups or even 20 lineups or something. In a three-game slate like this, what I really want to focus on is like, how 
can one game go off unexpectedly or where can something unexpected happen that's going to help me lap the field? So maybe New England ends up like losing by 10 points. If I build a lineup that follows that narrative where Buffalo Bills have a very good defensive uh, game, maybe one of their receivers goes off and Devin Singletary goes off. That's just a stack that, that follows that narrative and a lot of people aren't going to be on that. So when I'm looking at a game like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Houston Texans, like how is this game most likely to play out and what's most likely to happen in terms of ownership? So this is going to be the highest owned game of the week because it's the only game with a high over under um, only game uh, without a huge spread 49 point over under with a spread of just three in favor of the Texans. So it's going to be very easy to find out where people on on the Houston side, actually on both sides. Um, it's going to be a lot of Deshaun Watson, a lot of Nuke, um, a lot of Jameis Winston, a lot of Brashad Perriman. Um, so I think one thing that you can look at for a leverage opportunity here is Houston is only one of three teams that's ranked in the bottom 10 and schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to every skill position. So one way to leverage everybody just game stacking this is to go heavy with the Tampa Bay onslaught and very light on the Houston side. So a ton of Tampa Bay players just because Houston is so weak at every single position. Maybe you go a Jameis, uh, a wide receiver or two with a tight end thrown in the mix and even Ronald Jones. Um, and just hope that Tampa Bay takes advantage of every single weakness in this Texans uh, defense. And probably the best way to leverage a Tampa Bay onslaught or just a game stack here is to fade Brashad Perriman. Um, I think that's probably going to be the best leverage opportunity of the week. He obviously had the huge game last week. Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are out, uh, and people are just naturally going to say, okay, well, Perriman was big last week he'll probably be the highest owned player at least the highest owned wide receiver on this slate the thing we got to think about camera rate and oj howard both saw more targets uh than perriman last week justin watson's only one week removed from having an eight target game and watson's going to be lined up against ex buccaneer vernon hargraves who's allowing the seventh most fantasy points per target among slot corners uh, so that's the way you want to be thinking about these things what are the most likely things that can happen how am i going to leverage it don't forget about Ishmael Hyman. Is that what we're doing? I'm just telling you not to forget about him. <laughs> just remember the name. Uh, no. it, it, Bruce, listen, real quick, Bruce Arians also said that he expects the running backs to get more work in the passing yeah. game. So, I mean, Ronald Jones, as much as it might make you sick, maybe. You, you got it. I mean, you just have to play guys you don't feel comfortable playing. So, there you go. I'm not saying play Ishmael Hyman. I actually think Justin Watson's going to be fairly heavily owned. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get like super low ownership from a player like Watson. But the point is, if you build a Tampa Bay onslaught Mm -hmm. with the guys like you said, just uh, um, uh, Jones, Watson and no Perriman, that's why it's going to be different. Um, someone like Ishmael Hyman, he's a player that, like I said, up top, like there oftentimes there's a player that's min priced that they don't need to go for 150 and two, sometimes 75 and one from that min price guy is something that breaks the slate. So he's a player that you're not necessarily going to use him. If you're building a hundred lineups, you're not going to put him in 15 lineups as a one-off, but if you're building a Tampa Bay onslaught or building a crazy game stack here, he's a player that you're going to use. And I don't know, say out of your hundred lineups, 50 of them are some kind of game or team stack from here. Maybe you use him in 10 of those lineups. So 10% of your total lineup, 20% of your game stacks are onslaughts. Um, If he hits, then you're in really good position. You want to go really deep? Cyril Grayson. (laughs) Um, They just signed him. He's coming in. Big, big time. Cyril Grayson. Yeah, I mean, let's I just want players on. that are going to be on the field. <laughs> is he? I don't even think he's going to be. He probably isn't even listed. Craig can't <laughs> even get to him. Maybe they add him later in the week. I don't really think they should, though. Okay, so anyways, I wasted enough time with you on that. Uh, no, San Francisco. Good. How about San Francisco? Another team where you could go to running backs if you wanted to. But you might really be able to differentiate your, yourself in their passing game with their wide receivers because who the hell knows which one is going to be the guy that steps up. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if um, we're going to see a quarterback besides um, Deshaun Watson and Jameis Winston above, I don't know, 25%. I think Winston and and uh, 
and Watson will command well over half the ownership, which is just naturally going to lead to low ownership from the other guys. A way to leverage that is to maybe, even if you do want to load up on game stacks from uh, the Texans and the Buccaneers, is to differentiate at quarterback. And San Francisco, they have the second highest implied point total of the week, um, or of the slate, I'm sorry, 25.75. So even though the game that we're talking about before is the game that's expected to shoot out, San Francisco actually has a higher implied point total um, than the Buccaneers, who are the underdogs in that game. Jimmy Garoppolo, top four in fantasy points per pass attempt over the last six weeks. Uh, Top two quarterback value on DraftKings. And then if we just look at the matchups here, all of the defenses besides Tampa Bay and Houston, top 10 in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterback. So again, just another indicator that ownership is going to be heavily slanted toward those other two teams. We currently have Debo Samuel projected as a top six wide receiver value on both sides. Mm. So uh, if people do play Jimmy G, they're probably going to be stacking him with George Kittle. Uh, Something that you can do is throw Debo in, throw Emmanuel Sanders in with Jimmy G, even if you still want Kittle in there. And then those can kind of be like your one-offs, if you will, even though it's your main stack, uh, surrounded about around your Houston Tampa Bay guys. And that's going to be a way to be unique as well. I really hope that the Rams win this game, like fourteen to thirteen. Oh, that's it's definitely possible. Yeah, I, um, I'm just hoping it. I just want to see this because I don't want to have to have much of this game. Tell you the truth, I, I think everybody's on Gurley, and it, people don't want to play Gurley, but they're hoping he falls in the end zone two times. You no know? one's gonna have a choice. So running back is a disaster <laughs> on this slate. So we have. We have Gurley, Mostert, Singletary. They're going to dominate ownership because they're the only running backs on the slate that see consistent work. Ronald Jones, people are just going to be using him in game stacks. I don't think they'll be using him as a one-off. And then Patriots running backs, um, I mean, you have to be using them as like a a game flow type build. You're you're kind of going to be dart throwing them into some lineups but Gurley Mostert and Singletary will easily be the highest on running backs because people don't have a choice yeah that's yeah that's that's the point there so Gurley is 7400 on FanDuel and I mean listen he's been a running back one the last three weeks but this is a hell of a matchup I will also say this though the San Francisco defense has not been the same defense that they were you know about a month ago they have given up some points that's why this is this is probably the most interesting game because I believe that this game has um, the widest range of outcomes. It's going to be very hard for just Tampa Bay and Houston. I, I don't see a situation where that game falls way under the under um, over under just because both of those teams can throw so much. Um, they Watson's definitely efficient. Jameis can be efficient. If, if something happens where uh, Houston gets up big, it's going to be because Jameis is turning the ball over, but we've seen Tampa Bay, even in those situations, like they're just not necessarily a team that is going to end up like losing by 30. They're going to get that garbage time work. So San Francisco and Los Angeles has the highest range of outcomes here because like I said, Jimmy G has been playing um, at a pretty high level, at least in terms of efficiency of late. And then San Francisco's defense hasn't been playing as well as they have 7.8 fantasy points per game allowed to quarterbacks over the first eight weeks, 22.6 fantasy points per game to quarterbacks ever since week eight for the season. Only Arizona's allowing more than 22.6 fantasy points per game to quarterbacks. Now, the 49ers have seen uh, a lot of really good quarterbacks over that stretch, but still, um, I mean, I don't think the most likely scenario is that Jared Goff comes in and lights it up, but San Francisco has been vulnerable and it makes sense here just because of all the things that I just mentioned to have a small percentage. If you are playing 20 lineups or hundred lineups to have some percentage of them be a game stack from this game. Uh, the, the other guy is Robert Woods. I mean, yeah, you know, I had a down week last week. The, the whole Rams offense sucked. This guy just gets peppered. You know, C- Cooper Cup is not the number one wide receiver there. Okay, it is by far and away Robert Woods. He's just seeing volume upon volume upon volume. He's a monster on DraftKings. And imagine if he actually gets into the end zone. Oh my God, forget about it. Yeah, this uh, him Goff Higby um, and then. Some combination of the Niners main guys, Debo Samuel, uh, George Kittle, just a game stack from here. If, if you do 20 lineups and five of your, your lineups are game stacks from this game or, or 
focused in on this game, uh, you should have pretty good leverage on the field. Uh, what if Gerald Everett comes back? He practiced in full on Wednesday. Um, I mean, that obviously throws a big wrench in things, and it's um, – I mean, Gerald Everett isn't going to um, – I don't think he's a player that you're going to try to use as a contrarian play, but it could give you an opportunity to be more overweight on some of the other guys. So right now I think probably the – not probably – It'll be George Kittle and Tyler Higby um, will draw the most ownership. I think they could combine for well over 50% of tight end ownership this week. <clears throat> and then they'll be closely followed by OJ Howard um, just because of that game. I actually really like being the most overweight on Cameron Brait. And then if Everett ends up playing, then Cameron Brait becomes my second highest owned tight end behind George Kittle because we did see Brait with seven targets this, last week. And I think that's one of the few stats that's going to fly under the radar on a really short slate. So you knock Higby down a little bit if Everett plays. I mean, just, yeah, a little bit. Right, and just a I'm little. still using them in game stacks, but like f- the the way to gain leverage on these short slates is flip flopping who you're going to be behind, planting your flags, having a small core, and Brait can be one of those few f- players that you plant your flag on that can really flip this entire slate. All right, let's get to the other game uh, with Buffalo and New England, and you know Andrew Fleischer, he's with us. Uh, what does he do for us? I don't know. He's uh, a writer. He did some preseason work for us at 4 for 4. Yeah, yeah, he did some stuff for us. Patriots defense has allowed one rushing touchdown all season. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, so listen, Singletary is going to get the volume is the good thing. And maybe he will catch a touchdown pass. But like, how do you really go with Singletary in New England against that defense? Um, because we don't have any running backs on this <laughs> slate. Um, okay, I mean, that's okay. Why, that's why Gurley and Mostert are going to be insanely high owned. And we, I mean, we saw Joe Mixon have a um, have a really good game against the Patriots last week. I think he was at or over 100 yards in the first half. Uh, and then, I, I mean, on on Fanduel, people are going to trend towards a running back in the flex. It's more wide open uh, on a slate like this. But on DraftKings. I do think that wide receiver will probably dominate the flex just because it's such an ugly running back slate. So you can make the argument that having three running backs is actually a little bit contrarian on DraftKings and tournaments this week. And Singletary could be one of the players that fits into that mix. I mean, if if he goes for 101, um, that's that's a really big day from from a running back on a three game slate. Yeah. Also, in that game, I'm uh, Julian Edelman. He's got the knee, he's got the shoulder. I'm very concerned about Julian Edelman's health. Yep. We just don't see what happened last week. He was limping at the end of 14, week 14. He was horrible last week. Uh, you got to have some exposure to him, but by no means will I be overweight. He might, as far as the high-end wide receivers, he will be my least owned high-end wide receiver this week. Well, I mean, we have DeAndre Hopkins, Julian Edelman, Will Fuller, Brashad Perriman, Robert Woods. Like you're considering Brashad Perriman a high-end wide receiver at this point. You kind of have to consider Fuller a high-end wide receiver just because of how short the slate is. And then Robert Woods and then everybody else, it's like they're all the, – the range of outcomes for everybody else is, is insanely high. Um, so you definitely are probably going to be the lowest on Edelman out of those guys. He, I mean, not only with his health, but uh, he's just – he – uh, is facing a Buffalo defense that allows the fewest fantasy points per game to wide receivers line up in the slot. But also we're looking for upside. Julian Edelman leads the league in red zone targets. So the, what I'm doing with the information of um, Edelman's health is it's just kind of getting me away instead of looking at possible Patriots um, game stacks. I'm looking to use Patriots separately. Um because I, I think it's going to be an either-or situation. If Edelman can be the Edelman that we expect, then I do think he can have a pretty big game here. If he is um, not the Edelman that we expect and close to something like we've seen the last week or the last couple weeks, I actually really like using James White instead of Edelman because we've seen the Patriots use White heavily against Buffalo for the past couple of years. They've had a tough secondary. They don't allow a lot of big plays, and we've seen James I think three out of four, the last four, definitely two out of the last three has seen double digit targets against the bills. So I like using white and Edelman not together this week. Anything else you want to throw out there? 
Um, I mean, I, I think we kind of just covered the, the thought process or, around how you want to be um, thinking about these small slates, like sticking to a very small core, planting a flag in just a couple contrarian players, and then not building lineups like you would in a full slate, uh, more just thinking about possible game flow and, and building lineups to a, a narrative that matches that game flow that you're thinking about. Um, it's just a different animal. Um, hopefully all of, of that, uh, information helps you think about it in a different way. All right, buddy. It's, uh, it's been real week 16. I really enjoyed this yeah. one. Love the Saturday slate. Looking forward to talking about how we did next week, hopefully after winning a lot of money, but, uh, it's just fun, man. Just Saturday football, these three games we got that next week is just all Sunday between one and four o'clock games, right? Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. So this is it. Well, this... they will, they will flex one to, they announced after this week, what's their, what they're flexing this Sunday to Sunday night game. So the main it's... slate will be 15 games next week. Yeah. And then we got a couple of weekends with uh Sunday playoff games, but yep. We got a three game slate. This is going to be fun. All right, man. Uh, sign up now. DFS MVP. That's the code. Get 25% off the DFS sub only rate review. T-shirt giveaway is over. So thank you to everybody that did that. TJ, take us out. Uh, yeah, so this is the last week of, of normally scheduled programming. Next week with Christmas and the games only on Sunday, we'll be moving all content and the podcast to uh, to Friday. And it's just going to be a, a it's just going to feel different because next week we're just going to be week 17 so heavily focused on who's actually playing that we get, we kind of get away from this, uh, this traditional stat matchup analysis that we've been doing all year. And then once we get into the playoffs, we'll be going through championship week. Uh, podcast will be a little bit shorter. Uh, basically the whole podcast will be a bit of a theory segment. So we won't be separating it into, uh, our favorite plays and, and theory. We'll just kind of be going, uh, game by game breakdown and talking about how we're thinking about, cause it's going to be very similar there. It's a four game slate, not a three game slate. So kind of similar to the conversation we just had. Uh, that's how we'll be going through the podcast through championship week. Um, and those will most likely be coming out on, on Thursday for the first two weeks in the championship week. Uh, we have our conference in Vegas with all the fantasy bros and gals. So that will be moved to Friday. Uh, we'll keep announcing it on Twitter to remind you guys what the schedule is. But uh, things are changing over the last month. Still got five weeks of DFS, so don't leave us yet. Uh, thank you for listening. If you like more of us, you can find us on Twitter, Holden at Holden Radio, myself at TJ Hernandez. Of course, 444 at 444 Football. Talk to you guys week 17. pedestrians in a spaceship while they're screaming at me. Best 99% of my life I was lied to. I just found out my mom does more than I do. I told her I'd grow up to be a famous rapper. Make a record about doing to name it after. You know you blew up when the women rush your stands. Try to touch your hands like some screaming usher fans. White Castle asked for my autograph, so I signed it. Dear Dave, thanks for the support. Hi, my name.